0: Now the foundation for this message is Hebrews chapter 11 verses 20 and 22 which indicates that beginning with Abraham and Sarah, the baton of faith was passed on uh, from one generation down to the next. Now for the sake of time, uh, there in your sermon notes, jump down to the middle of the page where it reads, how to pass the baton of faith to my child. Now, I just want to briefly review that first point, which is, uh, uh, of course, a review, and I've already filled in the blanks uh, to help you out there. So that first truth was, and we've already looked at this, is that I have to target God's purpose in the training of my child. I have to target God's purpose in the training of my child, and this is being resolved, being resolved. In other words, if I'm going to be a successful parent, that is not going to happen without me being intentional, without me being deliberate, without me planning for success. It just won't happen in a spontaneous fashion. We looked at Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. We saw that verb, train up, is the word kanak in the Hebrew text, and it has two fundamental meanings that you see there in your sermon notes. The first one has the uh, connotation of dedicating my child uh, to the Lord. And when I dedicate my child to the Lord, I'm doing that, as you see there in your sermon notes, realizing my child is a what? Gift from God. My child also has a destiny to fulfill. God has a plan for my child, and God wants to use me as a parent to help my child discover who he or her is, their basic gifts and uh, God's unique plan for them to fulfill it. And then I dedicate my child realizing uh, my child is a stewardship that I am accountable to God for. And then not only does that word train up have the idea of dedicating my child to the Lord, but it also means to create in my child's heart a desire for God. And we looked about at how did it go about doing that. And we saw those three next truths. God's truth must first be a reality, what? In my heart, in the parent's heart. I'm never going to be able to impact and influence my child unless I am walking in authentic Christianity. Second, God's truth must then be lived out in my home. So it's got to be a reality in my heart. And then I have to live this truth out in my home before the eyes of my children. And then that third truth, God's truth, will then be instilled in my child's habits. See, if God's truth is not in your heart, it will never be in your home because it's the home where the heart is revealed. And if God's truth is not lived out in your home, it will never be in the habit of your children because habits are learned in the home. Bottom line, The key to creating in your child's heart a hunger and thirst for Jesus Christ is you maintaining a dynamic relationship with Christ and then communicating that relationship to your child. The God you communicate, we talked about this, is not the God that you talk about. It's the God whose life you live out before their eyes. Parenting what? Never stops. There's no timeouts when it comes to parenting. There's no vacations. You're always, always, always teaching your kids something, whether it's good or whether it's bad. You pass the baton of faith to your child moment by moment in a thousand seemingly insignificant conversations, activities, and attitudes. In other words, just as in a relay race, the baton is not taught. It's what? It's caught. Well, in the same way, it's caught when you take the opportunities afforded you by life's experiences to be able to first show your child and then share with your child how to look at life and how to relate to others in a godly way and respond in a Christ-like manner. So look at that first key. To pass the baton of faith to my child, I must run the parenting race with one aim, win my child for Christ. Win my child. I have to be resolved. This has to be a major focus in my life where I'm being deliberate, where I'm being intentional. We talked about praying for our children on a regular basis, but most important, living out the authenticity of a relationship with Christ before their eyes, and hopefully through that, creating in them a hunger and thirst for Jesus. Now let's move to the second point, and all of this is new material that I'm going to move through rather quickly. I, again, I, I'm, I'm sad for the fact that we have to deal with this, but the way, especially you parents need to look at this, take this as a worksheet, sort of as a homework assignment, and this is going to be some very practical material, and, and, and just you evaluate your parenting in light of this. Not in in a way to heap condemnation on yourself, but to look at how can I do this better. And focus on these things. That's what I mean by being deliberate and intentional. So look at that second point. Touch my child with love. I have to touch my child with love that is both tender and tough. And this is building a relationship. If I'm going to influence my child, I must build a relationship with them. Relationship or rules, rules without a relationship equals what? Rebellion. So it's very, very important for me to develop a close relationship with my child and realize this will not happen again unless I'm intentional and deliberate in doing it. Look at First Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. This is the Apostle Paul talking about how he related to the new converts at Thessalonica. But it's a beautiful picture of uh, parents relating to their children, of uh, anyone in a discipling role attempting to influence someone towards Christ. He said, but we proved to be gentle among you. As a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but, what? but also our own lives. Why? Because you had become very dear to us. See, your child needs to know that they are dear to you and that you are so committed to them that you want to invest your life into them. Now, notice there in your notes I've mentioned five touches that you need to major on. This is something, again, that every parent needs to be continually thinking about and not let a day go by without looking for opportunities to express and touch your child in this fashion and the first touch is I must touch my child with acceptance. I must touch my child with acceptance which imparts feelings of security. In other words, you want your child to feel secure with you. Only when they're secure with you will they be open and transparent with you. And you want them to be open and transparent so you'll be in a better position to impact them and influence them. And what I mean by acceptance is you want to communicate to your child there is absolutely nothing you could ever do that would stop me from loving you. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be happy with their behavior all the time. That There may be times when they're expressing values and behavior that you detest. But in the midst of that, that child needs to know that there's nothing that they could ever do that would stop you from loving them. There would no, be nothing they could ever do that would stop you from embracing them in your arms unconditionally. Uh, I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 7 and 8. This is what parents need to strive for. It says, God's kind of love, it says, bears all things. And parenting can be tough. And you have to bear up against a lot of junk and a lot of stuff and a lot of difficulty and a lot of hard hearts sometimes in rebellion. But it says, love bears all things. And why does it bear all things? Because it believes And that belief it's talking about is placing your confidence in the grace of God. So the key to parenting is faith. Placing my confidence in God's grace. So even when my child is going through a difficult time, they may be a prodigal right now. But I keep my faith, I keep my belief in God. Placing my confidence in His grace. And as long as I place my confidence in God's grace to penetrate the heart of my child, realizing there's no heart so dark that God cannot penetrate, Then that takes me to the next thing it says there in 1 Corinthians uh, 13, 7. Love hopes all things. See, as long as I keep my confidence in God's grace, I'm never without hope. Now, if I look at my child's heart, I may end up in despair and hopelessness. If I look at my abilities as a parent, I may end up very hopeless and in despair. But as long as I keep my eyes on God. I place my confidence not in my child's willingness, not in my ability as a parent, but God's confidence to penetrate and grip the heart of my child. I'm never without hope. And then the next phrase says love what? Endures all things. That's what gives a parent the ability to endure with their child in the most difficult of circumstances. And then 1 Corinthians 13.8 says what? Love never fails. When he says love never fails, it's not talking about the fact that love always wins every individual. Jesus did not win every individual. When he says love never fails, it it means he loves with a love that will never stop loving you, a love that will never give up on you, a love that will never stop pursuing you. And that's the kind of love that we want to demonstrate to our children. Look at the second touch. Touch my child with appreciation, which imparts feelings of worth. And I hope in each of these phrases you'll notice the emphasis on feelings. And I do that without apology. We want to develop an atmosphere in our homes where our children feel accepted, where they feel appreciated. And just like acceptance gives them feelings of being secure, where they can be open and transparent, when you major on expressing appreciation to your child, this is what gives them feelings of worth, that they are special, that they are a treasure to you. And I know that this can be very, very difficult, and we have to be very, very careful as parents. And, and you know, Kathy and I have made this very. You can get in the rut where it says, no, 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 no. And, and you get exasperated, and you all know what I'm talking about if you're a parent. And so we have to be very, very careful that we, stop ba- we step back. And we realize, no, my child is a gift like we talked about two weeks ago. And what a joy to unwrap this gift and to discover this unique child with his or her personality and temperaments and unique giftings. And it's my job as a parent to see where, the, where those good bents are. Yes, my child is a sinner, but he is created in the image of God, and he bears that image. And so there are positive traits in my child that I can fan that flame. And where I can focus on expressing appreciation to build that child up. And so you want to plan for success. And you plan. And one of the ways you plan for success is by building that child up through expressing appreciation. So don't let a day go by without expressing in some manner appreciation for your child. Look at the next touch. Touch my child with availability, which imparts them feelings of importance. Bottom line, you make yourself available to those who are important to you. That's just a simple reality in life. And the way that a child, you've heard this before, but it's true. A way a child spells love is T-I-M-E, time. They want you. And folks, let me tell you, I've learned this over the years as a father. This, again, will not happen without you being deliberate and intentional and making it happen. I mean, I'm talking about making appointments with your children, where your schedule is cleared, where you can invest on your child. And let me just encourage you military families. I know with the multiple deployments, a lot of our men and women in the armed forces struggle with this for the long periods of time that they're away from their children. Let me tell you, children can handle that. I was a military brat. My father was gone more than he was home. But what your child wants is when you do return, realize how important that child is. And I know you're stressed out, you're tired, you want to relax, and you need that. But also realize the importance of making some very special opportunities with your child. Where you're totally devoted to them and where you're focused on them, you're giving them your focused attention, your affections, and you're really locked in uh, to them. Look at the next one, touch my child with affection, which imparts feelings of being loved. Now listen to me very, very carefully here. I have greatly struggled with this point. It's a deficiency in my life. my father was a man that uh, showed very little affection. And so as I grew, I sort of developed sort of a, a, a little bit of I guess of a stoic way about me and, uh, and uh, impacted our marriage in a negative way after Kathy and I got married in, in terms of not uh, providing the affection Kathy uh, needed. Uh, and this has always been a struggle also being open with my affections with my children, but it is so important. You need to understand from a child's perspective, it's one thing for them to know that you love them. It's a totally different thing for that child to feel that you love them. Again, I'll be very open and transparent. I always knew my father loved me. I never doubted his love. But I never felt loved by my dad. I never knew my dad's touch. I never knew my dad to say, when looking into my eyes, I love you. And I know for many of us, and I'm being honest it, it's, it's, it's it's it can be difficult. This, is, again, has been a struggle in my life. It's been a deficiency. It's been something... I, I, I envy folks like Don Branch. If you do know Don, he's just so free in being able to express his affection and love. But this is something I've had to be very deliberate and intentional, and it's still awkward to me to this day. It's become better, but it's awkward. But because it's important, you need to make that investment. And then look at the fifth touch, and this provides a very needed balance. I have to touch my child with accountability. This is the tough aspect of love, which imparts feelings of responsibility. And this is where it is important for a parent to set down boundaries. And you explain to your child the reason these boundaries are there is because I love you. They're there to protect you. They're there to provide for you the most meaningful experience that you can have. And let me me share with you in terms of disciplining your child. We need to discipline our children. But realize the book of Proverbs says the rod of anger will fail. Now when I say don't discipline your child in anger, I... You're gonna have a righteous indignation at times when your child just defies you. But the point I'm making is that anger has to stay under control. And you set the boundaries, you acknowledge to you, you make your children aware what the consequences will be. And then when they violate, you just stay calm, cool, and collected. And it's just a matter, you violated, here's the consequence we set down. And you teach them that their actions bring certain consequences. And if they disobey, if they get outside those boundaries, they will uh, pay those consequences. And uh, you can do that by maintaining your cool and staying calm and collected. And look at the key. I'm I'm, again so sorry we're having to move so quickly through this. But the key is to pass the baton of faith to my child requires getting close to my child. In other words, the first key was what? I got to be deliberate i got to be intentional, uh, i got to make this an, the uh, primary aim in my life, but I'm never going to have the opportunity to give them the baton unless I get close enough to give it to them. It's just that simple. And so it's very important, even for an individual who has a very authentic faith in God. You may have the most authentic faith in God in the world where you're living out your, you know, Christ's life with you in reality. But if you never get close to your child, where you have the opportunity to impart that to them, it will do them no good. Look at the third truth. Teach my child with transparency. I have to then teach my child with transparency, gaining respect. And notice that there is a progression here. I have to have that primary target of winning my child for Christ, which then motivates me to establish a close relationship and I'm developing that close relationship to be able to gain their respect so I'm in a position to teach them. And I teach them through being transparent myself. Look at, again at 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 10, 11, and 12. What a great uh, example, model for us. You are, this is what we all ought to be able to say to our children. We ought to be able to look at our children and say, you are witnesses. And so is God, how devoutly. And uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you, believers, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father with his own children so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his kingdom, his own kingdom in glory. So three things underneath that. Number one, I have to teach my child by example, which gives my child something worth following. That's the greatest gift any parent can give to his child. Give them an example, a godly example, that is worth following. And let me again emphasize what we emphasized two weeks ago. Your child can handle your imperfections. What they cannot handle is hypocrisy. What they want from their parents is just to be honest. When you blow it, when you make a mistake, you acknowledge, you own up to your mistakes, you ask their forgiveness, but you let them know that Jesus is your first love, your greatest passion and pursuit, and they need to see that that's the direction you're moving in. It may be two steps forward, one step back, but as long as that child sees you facing Jesus, moving towards Jesus, making progress in your relationship with Christ, where you're being honest and transparent with them, you're going to gain their respect. And it's going to encourage them becoming open and transparent with you. Look at the second thing. Teach my child by encouragement, which gives my child hope. Teach my child by encouragement. Simply put, does your child perceive you as their greatest cheerleader. In other words, would your child say, my dad or my mom is my greatest critic or my greatest cheerleader? It doesn't mean that you never criticize, but they need to know that even when you criticize, the reason you're doing it is because you're their greatest cheerleader. You're for them. You want them to succeed. You want them to know God's blessing in your life. So, you're going to major on encouragement. And even in the New Testament, that word encouragement has the idea of coming along someone's side, putting your arm around them, and walking with them. And that's the picture that we want to have with our children. And then look at the third thing teach my child by equipping, which gives my child's uh, esteem. In other words, don't just tell them what you want them to do, show them how to do it. Not only by example, but through instruction. And then look at that key. Look at the key. To pass the baton of faith to my child requires that I first possess it myself. Amen? So it's just this simple. What's your best opportunity to impact your child for Christ? To see your child's heart captured for Christ? First, it's got to be real in your heart. And then as it's real in your heart, as you're giving them an example, you've got to get close enough building that relationship in a deliberate intentional way where you're then in a position to influence and then look at the fourth and final truth as we close out and move into the Lord's Supper, transform my child with God's truth this is securing response securing response this is what I'm after, I want to secure their response, I want them to make the choice on their own, to turn from running their own life, to choose God to follow his plan for their life First Thessalonians 2.13. And for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, not as the word of your parents, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Now look at the key. Look at the key. To pass the baton of faith to my child, they must choose to what? Receive it. That's why when I began... This message a few weeks ago, I told you there are no guarantees in parenting. You can be the most godly parent, have built the closest relationship imaginable with your child, but your child still has a will of their own. And when you attempt to pass that baton of faith to them, they have to make the choice to receive it. And even the most godly of men and women will have prodigal children. And if that's true, you don't need to condemn yourself over that. But at the same time, you want to demonstrate to that child what? A love that will never give up on them, a love that will never fail them. I don't care if they're 30, I don't care if they're 40, I don't care if they're 50. I don't care how old they are, I don't care how long they walked in sin or rebellion or whatever the issue might be. But you want to demonstrate to them, I love you with a love that's never going to stop loving you. I love you with a love that's always going to pray for you. I love you with a love that's always going to encourage and be there for you. Now as we make the transition to Lord's Supper, it's not difficult doing this. Because it's interesting how in the book of Hebrews, everything that we've seen that a parent needs to give to his child, God gives to us. And that's what we can rejoice in. Just just open your bibles to the book of Hebrews. Let's just run through this. Just real quick. It just take a second. Has God given you as his child unconditional acceptance? Has God as his child given you unacceptable acceptance? Unconditional acceptance. Yes. There's nothing that you can do that can cause God to stop loving you. There's nothing that would stop God from pursuing you. He's not going to let you off, but he's always going to pursue. Look at uh, Hebrews 8.12. He says, For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In other words, God says, I'm not going to let your sins come between me and you. It doesn't mean that God's not going to discipline. Again, he's not going to pursue you, but his goal is going to be to correct you so that you would know a good future, that you know a future with him, a relationship with him. How about appreciation? Look at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. But beloved, we are convinced, here's a cheerleader, of better things concerning you. You remember we talked about this. The Hebrews were struggling in their faith. But, But here we say, hey babe, but I'm convinced of better things. The writers being a cheerleader, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. Things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown towards his name and having ministered and still ministering to the saints. God expresses appreciation to his children. How about availability? Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, what? Draw near. In other words, what God said, I'm available to you 24-7. Draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that you may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. In other words, he's given that invitation in times of failure, when you're blowing it. He said, I'm available to you because I love you unconditionally. You come to me. It's the only place you're going to find mercy and grace in your time of need. How about affection? Look at chapter 2 verse 11. I love this. The latter part of that verse, it says, he's not ashamed to call them brethren. He's not ashamed to call you brethren. And then look at uh, verse 17. Therefore he He had to be made like his brother. He became one of us in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. God shows us affection. And then accountability. Turn over to Hebrews 12. God provides accountability. Look at verses 9, 10, and 11. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us. Ouch. And we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, our earthly fathers, they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Has he provided us an example worth following? Yes, look at Hebrews 12. Look at the latter part of that, uh, of verse 1. It says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And how do we run it? Looking unto who? Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, the one who already ran the race, crossed the finish line, a victor, providing that example for us to follow in his footsteps. How about encouragement? Look at Hebrews chapter 6. Look at verses, uh, look at verses uh, 17, 18, and 19. In the same way, God, desiring even more to show the heirs of the, uh, the promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath, in order that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we may have, notice, strong encouragement, we who have fled for refuge in laying hold of the hope set before us, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil. And then how about equipping? Turn to the last chapter of the book of Hebrews. Look at verses 20 and 21. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. So as we make the transition to the Lord's Supper, folks, we have a lot to be thankful for. We have a God who loves us, a God who loves us unconditionally, who's given us acceptance, appreciation. He's available to you. He's shown you affection. He loves you enough to be tough when need be to, be, to hold you accountable. And he comes along your side to give you encouragement by providing an example worth following and then to equip you. And, of course, what's the end goal of it all? He wants to pass that baton of faith, what? To you. So that then you'll run the race. As he ran the race, looking to Jesus, the author and finish of your faith, and being faithful.